Uh, if you read the news like I do, uh, you know, this last past week and actually weeks, uh, there's actually been uh, so many of these, um, as you say, mass shootings happen at workplaces. I think yesterday's happened at a club or something in Miami. And uh, whenever these happen, it makes me just kind of ponder and just think for a second, like reflect, like it's so hard that these people that are uh, just in their place of work or a place of fun or something, and it just, they're victims, right? There's, you, you, you know, is, is anywhere safe? I think about that, or I think about uh, how these people that commit these crimes are, in their own way hurting and have had things happen to them too. We've seen race-motivated shootings and we've seen uh, rape-motivated shootings and all these different things and this makes me think about how this is uh, people's lives and the, in the heart of man and the heart of a woman. Uh, there are all these things that Jesus comes to heal and to free us from. I talk a lot about four things. Um, how the effects of shame, pain, fear, and loneliness cause all kinds of like chaos to our system and then cause us to do awful things. So when I think about or read about these shootings that happen or other tragedies, I think about those things like what's going on in the heart of that person. And maybe over many years now, I've begun to experience some compassion for people and not just anger when they uh, do these awful things. Last uh, week, we ended our series on cultural tensions. That was a difficult topic, I think, for me to do, to be transparent in my own way, and then also to just really consider how do we as our, our community, our specific community, kind of interact with these tough topics, but then also how in the world do we function as a church and as Christians across the world, really, I guess we've talked about topics in America, and it's hard for me because I just want to reconcile it all and make it all work together nicely. I want it to all just be okay, but I can't do that. Instead, we have to sit in that tension, I think, and we have to recognize that these are things that we don't have answers for. But I also, uh, at the end of last week's uh, service, I talked about kind of us as a church uniting around something a little bit different. If you missed that, go back and watch it. But essentially, I want to challenge us as a community uh, to unite around not just how who you vote for or what you believe about these cultural topics, but could we consider, can we unite on how we follow Jesus? Uh, yes, we'll have agreement on the major beliefs and maybe let the minors be the minors, and I recognize that we all have disagreements on what really is major or minor, but I want to tell you that if we as a church, as Transforming Life Church, if we can kind of unite around these three things that I believe uh, can help us as followers of Christ, uh, but also just these three things that could really help anybody uh, to be free from the effects of shame, pain, fear, and loneliness. Can we as a church be an aware people? Can we be the ones that are reflective? Can we be the ones that aren't too busy to consider our own sin? Can we be the ones to, uh, to not forget the plank in our own eye when we're trying to call out the speck of dust in somebody else's? Could we be that kind of people, church? You and I will disagree on a lot of things, but can we come together and say, hey, we as a people are going to live this way? Second part is understanding, could we as a people 
be so committed to following Jesus that we don't just go by the motions or go day to day, but rather we are seeking understanding, that we are contemplative, that we take scripture, we don't just read it like a book, we take scripture and we meditate on it. Uh, in your own devotion time, that maybe you take some scripture reading and just contemplate, think about these principles. Could we as a community be the kind of people, the kind of Christians that will uh, seek understanding in these things in our own lives, our addictions, our pains, our frustrations, where does this come from, what's happening, how we were shaped by our family of origin. Uh, I love having Pastor Esther every couple weeks share an emotionally healthy principle. Boundaries is a Christian principle. I call it that because I believe all truth and all health comes from, health comes from God. And boundaries is a really healthy thing, but as a church, we sometimes have a hard time with boundaries. We just want to love people. We don't want to ever be the bad guy. So things like that that we share, what Pastor Esther talks about, can bring some understanding to your life to then be able to free you up to love God and others as he always intended you to be. Can we be an aware people? Can we be an understanding people? And can we somehow be the people that are committed to practices, that we be steady on these practices and adopt new ones um, so that we can become more like Jesus? Uh, practices can look like all kinds of things, and I'll share with you some of mine that I've been doing. These have changed. I've been a believer for over 20 years. Uh, I started doing these practices and rhythms when I was in high school, and they changed through different seasons. Uh, I can remember when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school, and one of my practices and rhythms, uh, as soon as I got home from school, I'm so hungry, right? I just want to eat or watch TV or something and relax. But I made it a practice, a rhythm of mine, that when I got home from school, the first thing that I would do would be to pray and spend time with Jesus. That was just a simple rhythm. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just giving an example of a practice that I did for two years. See, I was committed to practices to bring about the life God's always wanted for me. Today's very different. Um, my practices have changed right now. I, one of the things I try to do, and uh, I don't do it every day, but I try to get up early before the kids get up. Uh, and my kids get up early, so I have to get up at 5 or 5.30. And I'm alone with Jesus in prayer and, 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 set, and set the day just by myself with him. I try to do that every morning. Another of my practices I'm doing right now is uh, uh, I am not watching you know, TV and movies. Um, it's something that I'm trying to like keep my mind focused on him instead of being distracted. Movies aren't sinful. Neither is TV. You know, those things, I'm just telling you, these are the practices I'm doing right now that God's led me in this year. Uh, I'm also doing this intermittent fasting thing where I have an eight-hour eating window, and I love eating, okay? And eating has always been a coping stress mechanism for me for basically my whole life. And uh, so this year, I, one of the practices that I'm doing is uh, staying within an eight-hour eating window, which keeps me embracing limits, like Pastor Esther talked about. And it is a practice that helps keep me aware so I'm not distracted in coping. I'm aware with him and what's going on inside of my heart. You could do all kinds of practices, all kinds of rhythms. Maybe you keep a Sabbath. Um, maybe there's other things that you do as a family. Maybe you work on your relationships so there's a rhythm or practice you're doing in that. But if we can unite as a people around being an aware people, being a people that is seeking understanding, you may be going to a council like I do, uh, you may be studying scripture. You may be in prayer. Prayer is an incredible way to gain some understanding on your life, on your heart, on other people in your life. Uh, and then to find these practices or rhythms that we 
can adopt, that this would be how we gather and unite as the people of God, as our church. I'd love to talk with you more about that. And uh, as I've kind of thought through about how we are as a church and how we move forward, I really believe we can unite around those things. Uh, today we're going to be starting a new series on uh, just going through First Peter. This whole book, uh, this whole epistle is really great because it's about living well in tough times. And I love this concept because living well in this world seems so not like living well, you know? Uh, living well in scripture and what Peter is going to be writing about, talking about, and we'll learn is living a certain way, really guarded around hope. Uh, this was written probably around the year 62, 64, somewhere in there before Rome's, before Rome's uh, Nero's great persecution in Rome. Uh, he's basically writing to Christians that are scattered um, and writing to Christians a part of Northern uh, Asia, Asia Minor. And so there's like this world that they live in that's very different than ours, but we have our own challenges that we'll face. Here's a, here's a, um, a quote from a commentary I read about a really good way to put the purpose of this writing from Peter, the Apostle Peter. It says this, pastoral purpose, his pastoral purpose is to help these early believers see their temporary sufferings in the full light of the coming eternal glory. This is a theme I want us to consider over these next several weeks. I'm going to have some other people share as well like we normally do. So you can hear some different voices around this. But I want us to consider in this world we live in today, uh, if we could see our temporary sufferings as temporary in the full light of the coming eternal glory. Church, we can live well in difficult times if we can find our hope in what's going to happen through Jesus. Okay? We've been talking this whole year about awareness. It's kind of a theme like I've already talked to you about. Over this past year, maybe you've been aware of some troubles in your own heart, in your relationships, in your work. Uh, troubles, obviously, in our society as, as we've seen. These are things that are difficult. And how do we live well in that? Well, one way is to find some hope. I want to encourage you not to be scared to look at your troubles in your life. I don't want you to be scared to look at the ugly things that came out of you over this past year. Let's be honest, we didn't react well sometimes. Uh, being together with people in your family, being separated from friends, maybe, maybe some ugly things came out. It's okay, don't be scared to look at those things. Uh, see, I believe that as we uh, look at these things, it doesn't make God any less powerful. Just the opposite. Uh, as we see these huge challenges, we will find a God who's big enough, and strong enough, and who's patient with us and faithful to us. This is the deepening of our faith, okay? So through First Peter, as we said this over the next several weeks, you'll be aware of hope and its realness in your life, okay? So let's read it together. Um, First Peter, I'm starting in chapter one, verses three through nine. So I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna do something a little bit that I don't do every time, but I'm going to just go through verse by verse, actually, and share with you some of my reflections and uh, leave you with some questions that could help you draw closer to God and grow in your hope um, uh, in the middle of difficult times. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, okay? And this is what Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, that's so important, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you uh, allow me to just walk through verse by verse these few verses? And I'm kind of doing this as an example and a model for you to do this as well in your own study. You do not have to be an expert. You do not have to have this incredible education or something on learning and pondering and meditating scripture. I started reading scripture uh, and, and doing this when I first became a believer. Do you have any idea? Like I had no background in this. I don't know what I'm reading. I take everything my pastor says as gold. Don't do that to me, by the way. Uh, I, you know, I just, I just want to learn. You can do this too, and God will guide you and lead you in this as well. So I'm just going to go through verse by verse, ponder some things, and hopefully uh, you can do the same. In verse 3, Peter says, he talks about uh, the mercy that God has given us. Um, according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Right? I like this concept of mercy right at the beginning of Peter's letter because uh, what we, he's about to talk about what we get as inheritance, as blessing, it was given to us, not earned. It was merciful. Uh, it, it's really this relationship that we receive to have a new life. Uh, immediately as I read this, I consider, why do we put so much emphasis on what we can do to fix our problems? Why do we put so much emphasis on what we can do to fix our problems when what God does, the Father, our Creator does, to help us in our trials and our suffering and our pain is not something we do for ourselves. Let me say that again, okay? Why do we put so much emphasis on what we can do for ourselves to fix our problems? And what Peter is talking about here is that we have been given something we never earned, and we were born into a relationship, and so our answer to our problems and our pains and our trials and our sufferings are going to come first from God and not from ourselves. Okay. Uh, it talks about this idea of being born again, and the word there in Greek is uh, regeneration. Don't you feel like you need some regeneration after this past year <laughs> of things that are dying off of you and painful? Uh, and he talks about this living hope. You may have heard sermons on living hope before, this concept that this hope will actually give you life. It's for today. It's not just for yesterday. It's for today. Uh, hope is essentially a confident expectation of something to come. And it's in contrast to all these other things in this world that we do put our hope in, that we hope that works out, okay? Uh, and he talks about the resurrection. Uh, and the resurrection matters for living hope. And here's why it matters. There's a song that was written uh, probably a couple of years ago from Bethel. I'm going to read the verse here because it's so powerful. It's about, it's called Ain't No Grave. 
And so she writes this, Oh, there is a battle, a war between death and life, and there on a tree the Lamb of God was crucified. And he went on down to hell. He took back every key. He rose up as a lion and he set all captives free. There ain't no grave could hold his body down. There ain't no grave that could hold his body down. And when he heard the trumpet sound, he rose up out of the grave, out of the ground. And then it switches to say this, this song. There ain't no grave that can hold my body down. There ain't no grave that can hold my body down. If you, speaking of Jesus, if you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. If you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. And I want to tell you, church, this is what Peter's saying to these people that are in a crazy world. It's crazier than ours. A world that's out to get them. A world that gives them all kinds of pain and suffering, right? A world in which they're ostracized, they're using scattered people. Uh, and Peter offers them hope in this resurrection, hope in that their life will not be done in by this world. And that they will yet live, okay? If you were to sit, really sit down and think about it and reflect, um, not just on this past year, but really your whole life, if you think about it, you've probably been through some hard things. Some hard things you maybe never shared. Uh, maybe some hard things you wanna bury away. Uh, maybe some things that really feel like you're dying, okay? Here's our promise, is that this will ultimately not do us in and that you will be free one day. Verse four, Peter writes, all this happens to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, verse four is important because this is set in contrast to the safety, the comfort, and all these other things of this world that is fading away. How quickly do our comforts fade? You don't have as much money, right? How quickly do our comforts fade when our security is taken away? How quickly do these things um, uh, turn into ruin and get corrupted by the poor choices of people around you. See, what Peter is saying is that in contrast to literally anything that you can pursue on this earth, right? In contrast to anything you can pursue on this earth for yourself, there's something that no one can defile for you. There's something that nothing on this earth can corrupt for you, and that is your eternal life with Jesus healed and whole and with him forever. Uh, I have over the last many years started to recognize that so much of life is grief. Uh, when I was in high school, I started going to nursing homes with someone to do reading scripture to them, some preaching, and just being with people that are uh, really old or close to death. I remember in seminary, I'd go to uh, nursing homes and lead services there. Uh, and over the years, I just know that I have been able to speak with people that are older and have had a lot of life. I used to work at a bank, some of you know that, and would sit with some of these older customers. I remember sitting with this one customer that he used to be the director of a major company in Chicago, and he was the director of IT in this major company, and he's telling me this story about how, how he got that role and what he had to do, and I'm sitting there thinking, here I am talking to this person that had literally like thousands of people under him, and he's sitting at my desk, and he's this older guy, right? And he's just telling me about this life that no longer is. And as I've done this over the years, uh, as I've begun to listen to people's stories, so much of life is grief. 
So much of life is what we can't hold on to. Our high positions, our money, our health, even our families in some ways. As we begin to hear these stories, it's so, so much full of loss, okay? Which is a reminder for us, church, verse 4, that we have an inheritance that no man can take away, that won't be corrupted, it won't fade away. Verse 5, it, uh, Peter says this in verse 5, who through faith we are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, you know, we're, we're not protected by God's power uh, to skip suffering on this earth. We're protected that uh, our salvation can't be taken away. And verse 6 is so important. In this you greatly rejoice, you have joy, that even though now for a little while you have been distressed by various trials. Uh, the word distress there can be grief, have pain. How did the early Christians endure? Here's the secret of, the, of our faith. They found joy in the middle of their storm. They rejoiced because of what was going to happen, no matter what suffering happened right now. Okay? Uh, the word trials there, it can be a test or temptation. And I asked myself this question as I read this part. What if we could kind of reframe the trials and temptations of our life instead of it being about winning or losing? But what if it was just really a test, a trial about trusting God? What if every piece of suffering in your life was about a trial of can I still trust God? Can I still trust God in what he has for me? Uh, verse 7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes through, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith is tested and it lasts. It's the direct opposite of what our world, of our world, our society says. Here's what you hear. The government's powerful. Money is powerful. Uh, position is powerful. Uh, you're powerful if you can hold on to your guns, your position, your gold, right? That faith is foolish. How many times have you heard, you know, an atheist talk and talk about how we're foolish and how uh, what we believe in this makes no sense, right? We feel about this small when you hear these, these lectures from atheists on faith and how foolish it is. Well, the truth is all of us already have faith. When we get married, we have faith. You don't have to be a Christian to have faith in that. Uh, faith in having kids. Getting on a plane, you're going to have some faith to get on a plane, uh, we have faith. The key is to change how much faith you put in those things. And Peter is saying, can you put more faith in what you can't see? Can you put more faith in something that's not from this world? We need a fresh perspective on trials and temptations. These are not just if we can get through the day. The perspective should be, can I yet trust in him? Can I yet trust in a promise that I can't hold? I can't hold heaven. I can't hold my inheritance. You know, I can hold my stuff right now, but that all's going to fade. I believe Peter is saying, listen, here's the secret. Can you find joy and what's going to be given to you? Can you find some trust in God in yet these trials and temptations of life? We're saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of faith. 
I'm going to argue today, present to you in verse 8, that I think this could be the maturity of our faith. Can I love him who I can't see? Can I? Can I believe in who I can't see? Now, the other night, I'm talking with uh, Lucy, my five-year-old, and uh, she asked me a question about not being able to see Jesus and how he's in the room, but you can't see him. And I thought, okay, let's go down this road. Okay, it's, it's like late, but let's figure out, let's go down this road. And so I started saying, how do I explain this to her, that like Jesus is here, but she can't see him? And then how do I drop a seed that you can actually arrange your whole life around someone you can't see? And so I use the illustration of scripture that you know, like the spirit is like wind. And I asked her, have you ever seen wind? No, I've seen the trees blow. I've seen the dust blow in the air. I've never seen wind. Can you see air, but it's all around. And I kind of put this concept up there as like, we can see the effects of Jesus in our life in this world, but not actually see him. And that's still true. That still makes him real. It still makes him uh, impactful in our life. I think, church, this is the maturity of our faith. When in the trial of what we can see, the persecution of someone, someone persecuting us, for these Christians uh, that are facing actual physical persecution, that are having their stuff taken away, their families ripped apart, having their lives uh, taken from them, and Peter will be martyred. Think about that. They put their faith in what they can't see. In church, this is the maturity of our faith. Can you love who you can't see? Can you still have faith and trust him when all these things are happening in your life? Verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. This is a reminder, church. Uh, here we are trying to, you know, I recognize, you know, we try to make our society better. I want to make my family better. I want to make our church better, 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 better. I want to do all these things. But I want to be very, 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 very careful to not build my life around fixing things that will fade away. I'm not saying like, you dump your retirement into something. I'm not saying you stop saving. I'm not saying those things. I'm not saying you start, you sell your house, but maybe God wants you to do all those things. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying don't uh, pursue uh, the things of this world greater than faith in him. This is actually how you can get through any difficult thing in your life is to recognize your life isn't arranged around those things. Your life is arranged around someone you can't see. And even though you can't see your reward now, hope, church, hope today. I wanna to leave you with three questions. Uh, these were reflective questions that I would hope that you would consider this week. If you were to reframe kind of the trials and temptations of your life uh, to be how you're growing in your faith, here's a really great question. Number one, how is God, right now, how is God deepening my faith in what I can't see? Let me say that again. How is God deepening my faith in what I can't see? I'll give you a quick illustration. I think I've shared this before. I can remember from when I became to faith and I was a sophomore in high school up until my senior year of college. In those six, six, six and a half years, I feel like God answered every one of my prayers. I just crazy. I mean, I just feel like God answered all my prayers, everything I prayed for, I got all these amazing things were happening. I could literally see God do things. I remember my senior year of college, uh, I was helping somebody in their backyard and we're cutting down this uh, poison ivy vine and it was this big bush or whatever. And, and I thought, oh, whatever, you know, you'll be fine. 
Well, actually, next morning I was not fine. Okay, I had blisters on my arms and it got on my ears because I was, I guess I was itching or something, and it just eventually got all over. I thought oh, I would be fine. I'm going to pray. I'm a man of faith. You know, God answers my prayers. I'll be healed. I just believe God. I've, God's done things in my body before, so I'm like, oh, I just trust God. The next day it wasn't better. The next day it wasn't better. The next day it got worse. And then my my arms and my legs started swelling like I was flexing, and I'm apparently highly allergic to poison ivy, and. Uh, if I shave my arms, I don't know, you'll see some scarring from when I had poison ivy. And I remember praying. Like, I didn't want to go to the doctor. Well, I pray God will heal me. Uh, day four or five, I believe, I went to the doctor. And he saw me. I was like, oh, my goodness. And he gave me some steroid shots. He's like, don't worry. And then he gave me some steroid pills. He said, take these, and then you'll be fine. A few days later, I was fine. But I remember before I started actually seeing myself feel better, I remember... Uh, God speaking to me in this moment. He said, listen, what's gonna happen, what's happening right now is kind of a model, it's kind of an example, it's gonna happen for many years ahead in your life. I distinctly remember God speaking this to me, uh, that what's happening right now, uh, I'm praying and God's not answering. I want relief, I'm not getting it. Um, I'm powerless to change this. My body just kept getting worse and worse. I remember God speaking to me, this is an example of what the future is going to be like for you. That was a shift in my faith. And I began to realize that God would use trials and temptations and suffering in a way to deepen my faith in what I can't see. For so many years, my faith was what I could see. God answered my prayers. He did these things. Things were happening in my family. Things were happening in my church. Things happened at my school when I did ministry stuff there. But God began to deepen my faith in what I couldn't see for many, many, many years years and I came to realize not 20 years later I became came to realize that that was the grace of God to deepen my faith in what I can't see not in just these things that I can how is God deepening your faith right now in what you can't see is it financial uh, is it some comfort thing is it in your body is it in your heart what is it today that he's deepening your faith in secondly Let's be honest, this is an honest question, okay? What trial right now do I want removed from my life? Let's be honest. What trial right now, if I was God, or if I was empowered to, had the ability for, what trial do I want removed from my life right now? I can tell you back when I had uh, blisters all over my body that that was it I can tell you in times when I was alone and experienced incredible loneliness I wish that was gone in times I had financial struggles I wish that was gone I can go on and on and on and on right now what trial is it that if you had the power to do you'd remove it from your life this is an opportunity church as I read first Peter in these verses I read I'm gonna add to this uh, what is it that I want removed more than the deepening of my faith? That's a tough one. See, that's the great reward. That's more precious than gold, the deepening of our faith in what we can't see, can't see. And yet, we put our gold in gold. We put our gold in comfort, right? We put our treasure in things that we can hold. Church today, what's tempting you not to trust God?
Here's the last question. First one is how is deepening my faith and what how is God deepening my faith and what I can't see? Number two, what trial right now do I remove? And number three, how can I celebrate in the middle of the trial? How can I celebrate in the middle of the trial? Uh, being in a community gathering, I've you know, I've led house church, I've you know, been pastoring now and been in services. I've been in worship services with a thousand people. I've been in worship services with three, you know. And all these times have been an opportunity to celebrate. Uh, how could it look like for you in the middle of your trial? I'll tell you one way that I've been able to celebrate and find joy in the middle of my trial over this past year and going through COVID and all these different things. Uh, I have a list of things that God has done in my life up to my, this point. These incredible things that God's done. I have it on my phone. It's in a note-taking app. I have a list of incredible things that God has done in my life uh, that is, that's valuable like gold. Um, and I have that on, on a list that I read. Why do I have that? Because you gotta have some celebration, some joy, and a reminder of who you can't see. If these early Christians could do it, I want to tell you, church, so can you. How will you do it? You'll do it when you can find joy in what's ahead. And I want to proclaim to you today, I don't, probably don't talk about heaven enough for some reason, but there's a heaven for us. There's a, a time in this world where this world will be done and the, and the laws and the powers of this world will be done. And King Jesus... His kingdom will be fully here, and you're going to be free. There will be a time. This is just Paul or Peter says. Just for a little while, we have these sufferings. There will be a time that there will be no suffering, church. And I want to tell you, ask you, how can you celebrate in the middle of your trial? And I'm just talking about COVID. There's some other trials going on in your life. Things maybe you've dealt with for 10 years, 15 years. Other things that are going to be relational, things you have no power or control over, things and diseases in your body maybe. Can you find a way to celebrate in the middle of this trial of your faith to put your trust in Him? I'm going to pray for you today. As we move forward in our church, we need God to do the miraculous. And over the years I've walked in my faith and grown, I realize the miraculous isn't just these financial miracles or things we talk about. But the miraculous is celebrating in the middle of a trial. God, give me that miracle. See, the miraculous is loving someone I don't see. See, if you can be able to do that, that's a miracle, church. You would celebrate that miracle. Uh, a miracle is seeing and facing a, a temptation, a trial, a pain, a suffering, and trusting in who you don't see. That's the miracle I'm going to pray for today. I don't mean to lessen any of those other things that are going on in your life, but I want to pray today for that kind of miracle. A miracle in which as shame and pain and fear and loneliness attacked you and has attacked you for many years, that a miracle would happen today that you would trust in who you can't see. Father, today, I pray for a miracle. I pray for the same miracle that Peter was writing about to the early church. I pray for the miracle of trusting more in you who we cannot see than what we can see 
living in this world. God, we can see pain. We can feel it. God, we can see the powers that be, whether it's a government or position or power, whether it's money. These, these things could seem so powerful, God. Oh, Lord, not our church. We are your people. And we want to hope in you, Lord. We want to put our trust in you. And so, Father, I pray for a miracle today that we would hope in you and trust in you beyond what we can see, what takes us and makes us negative and tears us down and makes us discouraged right now in this day to day. Father, I pray today that we would hope uh, with full expectation that heaven's real, you're not done yet, and that all these sufferings and trials and temptations are temporary. Let us find hope today in you and what you promise for us and what we will inherit, eternal life with you, free from the temptations and trials world. God, we love you and thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Nate to close this in a last song. I encourage you, church, find some time this week to go over those questions and allow God to